you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Now we, we're going to go ahead and jump back into uh, the, the Gospel of John. If you're uh, kind of new with us in the last little season, you may not realize, uh, but we've actually been studying through John for quite some time, uh, for some of you uh, longer than you would like, but that's okay. Uh, we're, we're making our way through John. We as a, as a church uh, have sort of made it our norm to just preach through, study through, read through books of the Bible together. And uh, right now we're doing that through the Gospel of John. Uh, we, are, we are getting a lot out of it. Uh, just real quick as we sort of dive back into it, just to kind of remind us, John is, is one of the Gospel accounts. There are four Gospels uh, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or as me and my brothers said when we were kids, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Darth Vader. Um, but no, it's John. It's the Gospel of John. It's the last chronologically, or rather uh, in order, but many people believe it was the last one written chronologically as well. Um, I personally believe it, it may have even been one of the last books penned in the New Testament. Uh, it was written by a guy named, anybody want to guess? John, yeah, that's why we call it John. Uh, now that doesn't help if you, if you know uh, the New Testament, you know that there's a lot of people named John in the Bible, uh, just, like, just like today. Uh, there, John was a very popular name, so there was lots of guys named John in the Bible. Um, this particular John is not John the Baptist, who we're going to read about here in just a second, but is what we call in church history John the Beloved, uh, one, of, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And he writes a unique gospel from a unique perspective, whereas the rest of the gospels uh, were written for, uh, for specific reasons, uh, with specific goals, John just sort of writes his gospel out of the overflow of this understanding of who Jesus is and who we are in him. Uh, so as we, as we dive into this gospel, I want to just remind us, we're, we're studying the Bible together, amen? Two of you are cool with that, that's fine. Uh, we're studying the Bible together, so let's remember what it is that we are called to do as we study the scriptures together. So, so our primary goal when we study the Bible, and I say study on purpose because there's lots of ways you can and should approach the Bible. We should study it, we should, we should diligently, rigorously study it, but then it's also good to just devotionally read it, amen? Because you just spend time, so if I, my, my definition in the devotional area, when I'm devotionally reading, I'm just, I'm looking for the whisper in the word, right? I'm, I'm looking for, for him to kind of breathe life upon something, but, but there's also a, a good discipline of just studying the word, and the first thing that we ought to do when we study the word together, when we study the word on our own, the first job, the primary job is to find Jesus. You want to find Jesus. Now, I'm of the camp that's not cool anymore, but I'm still of the camp that believes Jesus is on every page. From the, from the front to the back, from the start to the end, Jesus is everywhere. He's in every story. He's on every page. And our job is to try to find him there. I believe this because I believe that the fundamental reality of the scriptures is God trying to reveal himself to us. God wants us to see him even more than we want to see God. And so we see then this, this relationship of us trying to find Jesus in, in the text. He's, 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 he's always the hero. Come on. He's always the captain. He's always the leader. He's always the pursuer. He's always the one looking for us. Next, once we've found Jesus, the next thing we need to do is find ourselves in the text as well. We need to find ourselves because once we find God, once we see the nature of God, it's then that we can understand the reality of ourself and only then that we can understand the reality of our world, all of creation, and even the cosmos. And I want to say this, as you, as you give yourself to the study of the scripture and as you find Jesus and then you find yourself, I just want to be honest with you. Uh, I know it's a novel thing for pastors, but I want to be honest with you and say that you won't always like what you see. But that the Bible, unlike anything else, is a perfect mirror. It shows us exactly who we are in each and every instance. And so gospel study is really a unique thing because uh, those two goals become quite easy when you study a gospel. It's pretty easy to find Jesus in the gospels. He's the one named Jesus. It's easy for us. He wears a name tag. It's like, oh, well, how do I find Jesus? We'll just look for Jesus. He's the Jesus one in the gospels. 
And it's also quite easy to find ourselves because Jesus is surrounded by, by the full spectrum of humanity. All sorts of responses to who Jesus is are seen in the people around him. And so it's, it's quite easy for us to see Jesus and to find ourselves as we study through the Gospels. And so this morning we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do something that we like to do. We're going to look back at the beginning of John so that we can remember what we've, what we've seen. We're going to kind of look through all of it, but I want to I start out by just looking at John chapter 1. Verse 1. So if you've got a Bible or one of those one of those phones with the Bible on it or a tablet or whatever you bring to church to look at the Bible, let's go ahead and go there. John chapter 1, verse 1. Now we predominantly read out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. There's lots of versions of the of the Bible that you can buy. Um, and and, and we, we particularly like the, the ESV, the English Standard, around here because number one, we, we speak English. Some of us speak other languages, but we, we all mostly kind of speak English. And, uh, and, and really, something to remember, the, the, the Bible, and specifically here the New Testament, is, is predominantly passed down to us through manuscripts that are written in Greek. So all of these are translations into English. We like the ESV. A group of people got together, a bunch of scholars got together, and they translated. They, they sought to take that Greek manuscripts, those Greek words, those Greek sentences, that Greek structure, and communicate it to us in, in English. And so we like... We like the ESV, but this morning, I also want to read to us the same passage, John 1, 1 through 18. I also want to read it through uh, something else, and this is called the Passion Translation. Um, you may or may not have heard of this, and if you've heard of it, you either love it or you want to throw something at me right now for even having this up here because you think it's heretical, and we should talk later because I can help you find another church. Um, <laughs> did that come out out loud? I'm sorry. Um, I just figured you'll be happier somewhere else. And we'd rather you leave happy than stay mad. Um, so uh, so this, this here, and I'll, I'll admit, I don't like that they, call it, that they called it the Passion Translation because in, in reality, it's not a translation. A group of people didn't get together to translate the Greek into English. What this is is a guy named Eugene, or sorry, uh, uh, Peterson. Not, well, we'll talk, about, we'll talk about him in a second. This is Dr. Simmons, uh, Brian Simmons, who just got together and, and, with himself and, uh, and paraphrased the New Testament. All of these things, these are, these are normal in church history. They've happened a lot. Uh, if you've been a Christian for a while or you were a fan of U2 and Bono, you probably heard of The Message, which was by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Uh, that was Eugene Peterson, a great scholar. He's since gone to be with the Lord. Uh, that was his attempt to sort of just take the Bible and, and make it conversational, make it, make it uh, modern and flow and just kind of try to get away from all of the flowery or hard-to-understand things. And so he created a, a paraphrase called The Message. If you've been a Christian for, like, when the dinosaurs were around, you remember the original Living Bible? Anybody? Come on. The Living Bible. Um, and that was another paraphrase, but these have happened for a long time. Uh, the, the goal of the Passion Translation, uh, though it is a paraphrase, um, was, was really in Israeli to capture the emotion of the text. And so, so Dr. Simmons goes back not only to the Greek, but even to some of the Aramaic to try to help us with that. I enjoy it for devotional reading, just pastorally here real fast. Wouldn't recommend it for study. Um, you can't really push on it as hard as you can push on, a, on an actual translation. So for study, we would recommend the ESV or maybe the NASB if you want to look at that or even the New Living. Uh, but for devotional reading, I've personally found a lot of life in the passion. So let's go ahead and go to John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. This is not still not working, so thank you, thank you, team. Um, here we have it in the ESV. How many people are excited to hear the Bible this morning? Awesome. How many are excited to hear the ESV? How many are excited to hear the passion? <laughs> like, I love you. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is He who of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from him, or from his fullness rather, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's also now read and turn our attention to the, the Passion. Let's read it here. Here's how, here's how uh, Dr. Simmons paraphrases this. He says, In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together, face to face, in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, the living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Life came into being because of him. For his life is light for all humanity. And this living expression is the light that bursts through gloom. The light that darkness cannot diminish. Then suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God. A messenger named John. For he came to be a witness to point the way to the light of life and to help everyone believe. John was not the light, but he came to show who is. For he was merely a messenger to speak the truth about the light. For the light of truth was about to come into the world and shine upon everyone. He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware he came to the very people He created, to those who should have recognized Him, but they did not receive Him. But to those who embraced Him and took hold of His name, He gave the authority to become the children of God. He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by man's desire, but He was born of God. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. John taught the truth about Him when he announced to the people, He is the one, set your hearts on Him. I told you He would come after me, even though He ranks far above me, for He existed before I was even born. And now the fullness of now of his fullness we are fulfilled and from him we receive grace heaped upon more grace Moses gave us the law but Jesus the anointed one unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy no one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. Church, let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. In all of its forms, in all of its translations, in all of its paraphrases, we thank you that we, we, God, I thank you that we get to live in a time where we can have debates about which translations we should receive and which we shouldn't. There have been so many seasons in the history of your people where, where we're holding and owning and, and possessing a, a written, a physical copy of your word to us it was so rare that very few had it, and yet we live in a day where, God, your, your word is so prevalent. Lord, I, my prayer, my heart, my hope is that we do not miss the sound of your voice simply because we have such access to your word. So we come to you today, God, asking that, that you would breathe life upon your word, that we would hear your voice in the midst of your word. God, that we would receive from you that which you would speak to us. God, that as your people, we would know your voice. That as your people, God, we would draw near to you. 
that we would hear you, that we would receive what you say, that we would not, that we would not push back, we would not rise up, we would not be stiff-necked or hard-hearted or, or hard of hearing, but we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and yes, God, even feet to walk in obedience to what it is that you speak to us. God, let us be transformed today by the power and the authority of your word. For your good, for your glory, and the good of all people. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Go ahead and greet somebody around you and grab a seat. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, I hope you are. I want to talk to you under the title, First Things First. First Things First. Want to do the job that we talked about earlier. Want to find Jesus in the text. Want to find ourselves in the text. Want to remind us of what John has been showing us. Again, John wrote this gospel according to John 20, 31, or 30 and 31. He said, I, he wrote it that you might believe. You might believe that Jesus is who Jesus said he was. And that belief might transform, might shift, might shape everything else that we believe. And so, so the first thing we need to understand that John says about Jesus is Jesus is, I love the way the Passion says this, the living expression of God. He is the living expression of God. Jesus is God. This was the first thing uh, when Ty and I started having, having kids. We said, what, what do we want our kids to know? What are the, the big truths that we want our kids to understand? And this was the first one. Jesus is God. It's the first thing we need to know as believers. The first thing we need to understand is that Jesus is God. The, 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 John here uses this phrase in the Passion, the living expression of God. What we mean by that is that Jesus alone is the perfect representation of who God is and what he's like. Jesus is the perfect representation of that for us. Jesus is God's full and final revelation of himself to us all. So everything you need to know, listen to me, everything you need to know about God you find in Jesus. And we will spend eternity exploring who God is through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the living expression of God. So what do we see about God in the person of Jesus? How does Jesus, what, is, what does Jesus show us about God? Two things Jesus shows us about God. In John, we see that Jesus is worthy and Jesus is holy. Jesus is worthy, come on, and Jesus is holy. I get this from, from this portion of the text, but also we see it echoed throughout the rest of the Gospel of John. So let's see this. Jesus is worthy. Everybody say worthy. worthy. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. This is the, the demonstrated by what he alone is capable of and also by what by he alone accomplishes. Jesus is worthy. This is the central attribute of who God is. It's who Jesus is. Now, now, now I, I say that. It's demonstrated by what he does and by what he accomplishes, by what he is capable of and by what he accomplishes. So, so, so this is what we see in time in the, in the working and the teaching of Jesus. We see, wow, this, this Jesus, this God is, is worthy. So everything that he does demonstrates to us his worthiness. So, so we need to start and realize that this begins even in the very reality of the incarnation. Jesus does in the incarnation what no one else would be willing to do. The very act of the incarnation, this, this thing we just celebrated at Christmas. Everybody remember Christmas? I know it was a long time ago. Um, Christmas, we, we, we celebrate the incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel. We celebrate Jesus' birth. That very act, understand, was a sacrifice for him on our behalf. Now, I think, I think Christians or people that hung around the church a while, maybe you sort of have this idea that it was a sacrifice because, you know, up in heaven there's like angels. And it's like nice up there. And like he just gets, he gets to, like he has his own chair. He's like, it's like a throne and he gets to sit there and nobody else sits there and it's just great. So when Jesus left that, that was a real sacrifice. And I think there's truth in that. Don't, 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 don't mishear me. I think there's a reality that, yes, 
Jesus sacrificed in that he left the perfection of heaven to come to us. But, but if I'm going to be honest, with you, I think there's actually a deeper reality of taking place in the midst of that. Because, see, Jesus left heaven to come to earth. Jesus left an intimate union that he had with the Father to come to earth. We talked about this last week in, in, in discussing the, the reality of the Trinity and, and the union and the intimacy and the dance and the, and the love and the affection that is there. Again, understanding that when, when God created humanity, he did not do it out of need for he had perfect, come on, relationship, perfect unity in himself. I want to say it this way. I, I love, again, I love this, this phrase in the Passion. It's why I wanted to read it. That, that they were together, this is verse 2 in the Passion, they were together face to face in the very beginning. So the sacrifice that Jesus made in coming was leaving face to face to take on our face so that ultimately we might see the Father's face. This is the act that he did. This is, this is when we say that Jesus is worthy. He did what no one else was willing to do, what no one else is capable of doing. And so John then demonstrates the worthiness of Jesus by repeatedly showing us the supremacy of both his words and his ways. You'll find as, we, as we've studied through John, we've, we've made it through the first 11 chapters together, as we've done this, Jesus has consistently astonished the, the, the smart people in the crowd by his teaching. And at the same time, and this is one of the things I love about Jesus, he astonishes the learned, the, the experts, the smart guys, the, the crowd I was never in. And he also helps and, and feeds the simple. It gives me great hope. He astonishes and he wows those who, who, are, who, are, who are enticed by the things that he says, and yet the crowds that he preaches to are filled with ordinary, simple people. Jesus is just better in everything that he says. He's superior. But also in everything that he does. Come on, he heals the sick. He welcomes the outcast. He performs miracles and he gives himself to the most in need. And in his saying and in his doing, he demonstrates the utter supremacy of his worthiness. He's just better than everybody else. He's better than everything. And John is showing us by, by showing Jesus' interactions and the way, he, the way he speaks and the way he moves and the, what he does, he's showing us consistently over and over and over again. He's trying to show us that Jesus is worthy. But please hear me. It's not just that he is worthy because he is. Nobody? Okay. It's not just that he's saying he's worthy. He is worthy, right? You guys are... It's not just that he's worthy. He is worthy, but it's not just that he's worthy. It's, it's what John's trying to show us is that he alone is truly worthy. That he is utterly and uniquely worthy is demonstrated by all that he does. If you want to really dive into this, and I was going to go here, but I don't have time. Uh, if you want to really dive into this uniqueness in the worthiness of Jesus, go to Revelation 4 and 5. And remember when you go there that Revelation 1.1 tells you that Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. So as you're reading Revelation 4 and 5, see Jesus there. Don't try to figure out who the Antichrist is. I love you. Jesus is uniquely worthy. In, in Revelation, we see that, that, that actually from eternity, they, they looked and they tried to find somebody worthy. And they said, there's nobody worthy. And then they see Jesus. Jesus is revealed as the lamb as if he were slain. And they say, he alone, come on, is worthy. He is uniquely and utterly worthy. And this uniqueness in his worthiness reveals the next thing that we are to see. And that's the, the next thing we said. He is worthy and Jesus is holy. Jesus is holy. If worthiness speaks of his exploits, what he does, holy speaks of his essence, who he is. In Revelation, there's this interesting, interesting picture that we, we see. It's the angels surrounding the throne who, who live outside of the construct and the confines of time that consistently, constantly sing out over and over and over again, 
the, of the holiness of God. And yet it is the, the elders representing humanity that when they see him, they sing out the worthiness of God. It's, it's almost as if in time, as, as we exist in time, we see what God does and we say he is worthy. And yet when we can move outside of the, the, the flow of time and we just see him for who he is, come on, we say he is holy. Holiness speaks of the essence of who God is. And, and, and this, is, this is difficult because I think the word holy might be one of the most, if not the most, misunderstood words in the Bible. Because we, we, we sort of filter it through our modern context, don't we? We hear holy and most of us think holier than thou. So we think, well, God is just holier than thou. He's just, he's just better. And he knows it. We hear that God is holy, that Jesus is holy, and, and maybe we think that it's, we're just speaking of his moral supremacy. Now, now let me just be really, really clear and, and, and make sure we're all on the same page. Jesus is, is morally superior to everyone in the room. Right? Like, if you want to have a conversation about that, what we're welcome to afterwards. Uh, you can present your evidence, and I'll laugh at you. Um, Jesus is morally superior. God is morally superior. But that's not what the word holy really means. Holiness does not mean that Jesus is morally superior. does not mean that he is holier than thou. It doesn't speak to the, to the, to the, to the chasteness of his nature. It doesn't speak to the stoicism of his nature. Now, holy, holy has a meaning. Holy is the distinct, separate otherness of God's nature. When we say that God is holy... What we're saying is that he's distinct, he's separate, he's, he's other. This means that he is not infected by anything outside of himself. That he does not depend on anything outside of himself. He is not in need of anything outside of himself. That he is without mixture. That he has not been watered down by anything else. He is always and only God and everything that is not him is not him. Only he is who he is. This is why the scriptures say that there is no one like the Lord. No one. No eye has seen. Come on, no ear has heard any God like our God. It just, there's nothing like him. Did you know that, that holy is the most used word in the entirety of the scriptures describing God? People say, well, God, I get this a lot, particularly from, I'm just, I love you all, but particularly from like millennials that don't want to get rooted in a church. They say stuff like, well, God is love. You're right. Absolutely correct. John, first John says God is love. But that's not the most descriptive term of who God is. See, what we need to understand is that when the Bible says God is holy, it's the thing that is repeated over and over and over again in heaven. It's holy, holy, holy. The angels don't surround God and say he is love, love, love. They don't say he is, he is beauty, beauty, beauty. They don't say he is, they also don't say, hello, somebody, that he's wrath, wrath, wrath. They don't say he's justice, justice, justice. They don't say that he's good, good, good. They say he's holy, holy, holy. Why is that? Because the holiness of God permeates everything about God. So he is holy good. He is holy love. He is holy just. He is holy forgiving. He is holy faithful. His holiness permeates every other aspect about him. Because all of those things are other. They are separate. They are not, they are not like other things. They are unique. I like the word otherliness. I don't think it's a real word, but I like it. I found it in one internet dictionary, so that makes it a word. Spellcheck doesn't think it's a word. Siri doesn't think it's a word. But one random internet did. So I'm going with it. It's the otherness of God. So God is utterly other. When we say, when you hear that, that, that God is holy, what I want you to hear is God is utterly other. Come on, where other people let you down, he doesn't let you down because he's utterly other. Where other people react to things outside of themselves, he does not because he's utterly other. Where other people have conditional relationships with you, he does not because he is utterly other. 
Where other people say you have to earn things in order to receive them from him, he says you don't because he is utterly other. He is holy. And so God is utterly other, and so Jesus is utterly other. He's not like, he's not like anybody else. John demonstrates this to us. It's crazy. John shows us the holiness, the otherness of Jesus. When Jesus constantly shatters the expectations of everyone around him. Read the Gospels. Here's the deal. Jesus never acts or reacts the way anybody thinks he's going to react. To the point, and I've shared this before, and it's just one of my favorite things when you actually read the Bible. To the point where people ask Jesus questions, and he gives them answers that don't even sound like they have anything to do with the question. My favorite, we're going to get there later in John, is when like some people come and they want to see Jesus. And so two of his disciples, like they, they buddy up together because they know what's about to happen. And they go to Jesus and they're like, um, they're, <laughs> Jesus, there's, <laughs> nice beard. Um, there's some people here who want to see you. And Jesus goes, unless a grain of, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. And they're just like. Is that what we're supposed to tell them? <laughs> or like, is this, I don't, I don't get it. Jesus just does not act the way we expect him to act. He doesn't say what we expect him to say. He doesn't do. What is, what it, why is that? Because he's utterly unique. He's utterly other. He possesses complete and total otherliness. I'm going to keep saying otherliness as much as I can. It's just a great word. But more than that, Jesus, please hear me. Jesus consistently shatters. Come on, our, he, he shatters our empty ideas of what God is like. He replaces our religious, spiritual, cultural idols with an image of the invisible God that is so colorful, so clear, so compelling, and so complete that it alone holds the capacity to capture our imagination and to earn our attention and our affection. Because he's holy. He's not like what we think he's going to be like. He's not like, come on, he's not like what religion told us. He's not like what culture told us. He's not like what our, our own personal life experience tells us what people are like. He's not like any of that because there's no one, come on, like our God. No one is like him. So Jesus is worthy and holy. Jesus is worthy and holy. So we found Jesus. We found Jesus in the text, right? It wasn't hard. He was the guy named Jesus. So let's find ourselves. The thing we see in John is, is Jesus is holy and worthy and in him, I am welcome and I am home. In him I am welcome and home. We say this phrase around here a lot. It's, it's on the doors as you walk in, welcome home. It's, it, please hear me. It's, it's not just a slogan for us. It's a representation of the, of, the, of the reality of the biblical truth of the gospel. Both of these things are at work in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the gospel, in the redemptive, redeeming, reconciling, reclaiming work of Jesus. In him we are welcome and we are home. To say that we are welcome means that we are wanted, we are desired, we are sought after, we are invited, and we are called. When I say that Jesus shatters what we think about God, this might be the first thing we need shattered. Because everything else in our life, whether you've been raised in church religion or some false religion or you've just, I don't know, breathed a few times in your life, you, you are trained from the very moment of your existence that you have to accomplish, earn, and achieve things. You have, you have to do in order, you have to earn, you have to, you have to accomplish. And Jesus comes and says, listen, I want you, regardless of the fact that you are unable to accomplish anything on my behalf. You, you do realize that you add nothing to the nature of God. Except an ex a place to show the example, to demonstrate his patience. Jesus shows us that we are welcome, that he welcomes us. 
when he withdraws, come on, from the face-to-face that he had with the Father. He withdraws and he comes to us. He accomplishes everything so that we can be with him. He does it all. When we reject him, I like to say it, he rejects our rejection. You are denied your ability to say no to him. <laughs> he says, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't accept that. And he comes and he draws near. And he says, you are welcome. You are desired. This is something we've got to understand. You are not needed by God. He does not need you for anything. Well, he needs us to preach the gospel. Donkeys have a better track record of speaking for God and getting the appropriate response than humans do. Read it. It's in the Old Testament. A prophet, a dude who should be a guy who knows how to talk for God, won't listen to God. And so God's like, I'll just make your donkey talk to you. And the prophet hears the message. I personally think that there are some people still trying to recreate that from the pulpit sometimes. But, um, but ultimately, we've got to realize God doesn't need us for anything. What he does is he desires us. And that truth, when understood properly, is more scandalous and more, more, more meaningful than the thought that he would need you. That a God who does not need you, that he, has no, that he has no need of you, yet he desires you, yet he welcomes you. Jesus comes. When we could not come to him, he comes to us. When we would not come to him, he comes to us. He pursues, he sacrifices, he dies, he wins the battle, he comes to us. Jesus proves by his very coming that you are welcome. He proves it. Next time you doubt, next time you think, I messed up too much, I've, I, I've messed up, I've jacked up, I've failed too many times, I've, I, I've let him down too much, I'm no longer welcome. Remember that he came. And that proves that you are welcome. See, I, I fear that Christians believe the gospel more for people who don't believe the gospel than they believe the gospel for themselves. You, listen, I, I, have, I, have, I have sat, literally, I have sat across a table with thankfully protective plexiglass in front of me holding a phone and preached the gospel to a rapist and a murderer and told them with all confidence that if they repent and they believe, they will be made new. And I have watched them come to life. And yet I doubt when I fail him that he still loves me. Well, because he's already forgiven me, so now, now I have to, I have, I don't believe I can earn it, but come on, religion has lied to me for so long and said, no, you can't earn it, but you better merit it. He saved you, now you better, you better show him that you, 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 you deserve that. No, you, you can't earn it, you can't merit it. You can't earn it before, and you can't somehow make it worth the price he paid. There's a real, the real hipster pastors right now are saying, you are worthy of the blood of Jesus. No, you're not, and you never will be. Yet he desires you, and he welcomes you. And I will, I will spend every breath in my lungs trying to remind you and convince you of that, because I know the moment we leave here, we, we start to doubt it. But by his grace, that, is, that, that, that doubt is being chipped away by his grace and in his goodness. So that we can stand knowing, come on, that he is worthy and he is holy and I am welcome and I am home. So we say we're welcome. We also say we're home. We're home in him. By saying that I'm home, what I'm saying is that in Jesus I find my peace, my place, and my purpose. I find my peace, my place, and my purpose. This, what I mean by this welcome and home is this. You're not just welcome to come and go. You're welcome to abide, to remain. See, your, your, your walk with Jesus is never meant to be a thing that happens for a while and doesn't happen for a while. 
It's not supposed to, it's not supposed to, it's not supposed to happen on Sunday morning and for 1530, 45 an hour in the morning every morning, and then you just kind of go along about your day and you live without him. No, you're supposed to abide continually, constantly, forever in him. So we're welcome, but we're also home. This is where we live. We say it this way: our peace, place, and purpose. Our peace, our place, and our purpose. All of humanity is desperately in search of three things, I believe. Security, identity, and felicity. Security, identity, felicity. Some of you are like, felicity, what's that? It's stupid, happy joy. That's my my definition of it. Literally translated, a state of, of unending bliss. We're all looking for security. We're all looking for the ability to, 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 to have some sort of stability in our life, to know, to know that we're safe. We're trying to figure out who we are. We're trying to be happy in our life. And what's amazing is this idea of finding our home in Jesus is where we find this. You are designed to only find that in Jesus. We find everything that we are looking for when we find our home in Jesus. First, security. In security, we find our peace. We say Jesus is, is peace, place, and purpose. In security, we find our peace. I'm at peace. I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to worry about, about being rejected. I don't have to worry about being attacked. I don't have to worry about being condemned. In him, come on, I have peace. A peace that's not just, not just there when I know what's going on. It's a peace, come on, that the scriptures say surpasses my understanding. Anybody else super disappointed that you woke up on January 1st and it wasn't 2020 anymore, but it sort of was? (laughs) Right, like everything to just magically change. I, I have no idea what tomorrow holds. What I do know is this, that, that if I'm going to live in an abiding relationship with him, I can have a peace and I'm supposed to have a peace that goes past what I know. I love you. I want to say this to you, and I mean this in no condemnation. I mean this in liberation. If your peace only exists to the point where you have assurance of anything, then there is a greater peace available to you in Jesus that you have failed to access. Our peace is supposed to outpace our understanding. It's supposed to go further, be beyond our understanding in Jesus, when we abide in him, when we find our home in him, we have a security and therefore we, have, we, we find our security because we have peace. Next, we have identity because we know our place. We know our place in him. When we say we're home in him, we mean we, you, you've got a room, come on, in his house. And the amazing thing, when you showed up to that room, it was already your room. You didn't have to make it your room. It was already your room. You had a place inside the family of God. You had a place in the affection and the heart of the Father. You had your place. You find out who you are when you find yourself in him. Last but absolutely not least, you find your purpose. And that is the joy that you were meant to. Do you realize that you were created in God to enjoy him forever? Come on, you, 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 were, not, you, were, not, you were not created in God to do good stuff for him. Has he created good works for you to fulfill in Christ? Absolutely. But the ultimate goal of your life, the ultimate reason you were, you were designed was so that you could just enjoy God forever. That's why, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. That's why even if you're not an emotional person, something happens to you when you step into a room filled with people praising and worshiping God. Something shifts. Something happens because there's a joy that's there. I'm not, I didn't say happiness. There's a joy, a deep, abiding enjoyment that takes place as we step into the presence of God. You're not just, you're not. See, what, why, why I think this is so important 
because I think that all of the sin cycles in our life are evidence that we don't believe that we're welcome or that we have failed to find our home in Jesus. Either, either I don't think I'm welcome, so I, 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 I think I have to constantly keep going back to some sort of, some sort of list of do's and don'ts and, and do enough of the do's and don't do enough of the don'ts and then sort of earn my way in. And I'm not welcome, but I, I have to earn my way in. And so I'm constantly stuck in this cycle of just living in religious bondage. Or sure, I know I'm welcome, but, but I, I have yet, I've failed to sort of realize that, that that's the place I'm designed to live and dwell. And so I go looking everywhere else, come on, for, for who I am. I go looking everywhere else for something that can make me feel safe and secure. I go looking everywhere else for something that can make me happy. All of the thing, all of the addiction, all of the, all of the junk in our life that, that makes us think that we're unwelcome is actually evidence that we have not yet realized that not only are we welcome, but we're welcome home in him. To stay and never leave. To move in and never move out. To find in him and in him alone our peace, our place, and our purpose. You don't have to go looking anywhere else. You don't have to go searching anywhere else. Everywhere else, the scriptures tell us, are empty cisterns. They're just empty wells. They're empty. There's nothing there. And yet, and yet all of culture, all of society, everything separated from Christ screams to you that if you eat that dirt that's at the bottom of that well, it will somehow quench your thirst. And they got ads on TV for it. And they have marketing teams trying to get you to believe it. They got, they got people posting on every kind of social media. I'm too old to know all of them, so I won't even name any of them. They pay millions of dollars to, 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 to eat dirt in front of you and say how quenching it is. And it's all a complete lie. Only he can satisfy you. He's the only place that there's water. Because he alone is worthy. And he alone is holy. And in him, you are welcome. And you are home. So the only, the only right response to this, the only appropriate, the only appropriate, these two revelations, that he is worthy and holy, and I am welcome and home, Produce one united response in us for all of eternity. And that's worship. These two truths propped up together. When I see how, how other he is. And how he works out and demonstrates that otherness in all that he does. And by what he does, when I realize that I'm, I'm desired that he's pursuing me. Can we sang it this morning that he's never going to let you go. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I say that in celebration and sometimes I sing that in fear. <laughs> oh God, you're never going to let me go. <laughs> when I realize that about him and as I find all that I'm looking for in him, everything, the only appropriate response, the only natural thing that's going to happen is worship, is to, is to say thank you, is to stand in his presence and go, wow. And I say that this morning to let you know this. I believe the Lord is inviting us to dedicate this first season of the year to simply pouring out our worship at his feet. It's typical for us as a church. We don't try to, to tie ourselves too much to clocks and calendars, especially I don't to clocks at all. Um, but we also don't try to tie our, ourselves to calendars too much. We don't like to just do things because we do them. 
Right? We, want, we want to be led by what the Spirit would call us to do. And often at the beginning of, of, of the year, he'll call us to sort of dedicate times to prayer and fasting and all these different things. And as we approached this year, I just felt very, very strongly that, and I'm going to use a word here that, that I hope maybe offends you. Um, and it'll make sense as you journey together with me through John 12. But I feel like God wants us to just waste the beginning of this year on worshiping him. Not, listen, not, not worshiping so that we can prepare this or that or the other, or not worshiping so that we can get a word, not worshiping so that we can, not worshiping so that, not worshiping, just waste it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, starting next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. Is it this Sunday? But is it next Sunday? Yeah. So starting next Sunday for the, for the, the, the next three Sundays at 6 p.m., we're going to just gather back in here, and we're just going to waste an evening at his feet. Say, so how long are we going to be here? I don't know. Like, like an hour probably. Like maybe one, maybe six. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> we're, going to come, we're going to gather. We're just going to worship. Is there going to be preaching? Nope. Is there going to be like guided prayer? Nope. Are there going to be words on the screen? Probably. Sometimes. <laughs> we're just going to pour out our hearts at his feet because he's worthy and he's holy. And I'm welcome and I'm home. And I don't think there's more of a place to be at home in Jesus than at his feet. And we're going to see how one woman gave everything she had as an offering of thanksgiving, as an offering of response to the worthiness and holiness of Jesus in the, in the reality that he has made her, he made her welcome and he made her home. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at that in Sunday mornings. And we're going to dive into that. We're going to, we're going to try to expand our understanding and grow our hearts to, to realize the capacity of that. Then we're going to go. We're going to spend our afternoon loving our families, enjoying one another. And then we're going to gather back together and we're just going to pour out our affection at his feet. Because it's right and it's good. So let's stand to our feet as we close. We believe that it's right and good to respond to what we hear. Amen. We believe it's right and good to forgive our pastor who offended us by saying you should find another church if you don't like the passion. Amen? You can go here if you hate the passion. It's fine. I'm just going to keep reading that occasionally. Um, we think it's right and good to respond. And I think the only way to respond to a message about worship is to worship. And so we're going to do that. We're going to do just that. We, we respond a, a few different ways. We respond through through celebration, contemplation, and communion, we're going to celebrate. We're going to sing. We're going to lift up our voices. We're going to declare the reality of who God is. We're going to celebrate also, to remind you, through baptism. We're going to baptize a, a few young people who have made a, a profession of faith, who have who've dedicated or, or, or saying they're dedicating their life. You might notice around here we don't uh, talk about people who verbally make professions of faith because I don't see that anywhere in scripture. What we, what we celebrate around here is how many people are willing to get dunked. That's the public biblical declaration of faith. Something supernatural, the scriptures say, takes place as you're getting baptized. Please don't think that baptism, like I used to think for years, is just, a, just an outward symbol of an inward change. No, the Bible actually says that in baptism, we are buried and resurrected with Christ. Something supernatural is about to take place. A miracle is about to be witnessed by us. So we, we do that. We're going to celebrate that way this morning. We also do through contemplation. So we encourage you to, to set your attention, to set your affection on Jesus in this moment. Allow him to speak to your heart. Allow him to shift some things in your life. Allow him to impart forgiveness for your pastor into your life. And then we're going to celebrate through communion. We do that two ways. First, through the, the sacrament of communion, through, through, the, through the, the bread and the cup, representing the broken body and the shed blood. Come on, proof that we are welcome proof that our sins are washed away, proof that our lives are redeemed is found in the obedient death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus all remembered through this act of communion. We, we want to make sure we're very clear here. Communion is a gift given to believers. So we, we welcome anyone who's put their faith in Christ to partake of communion here with us. You don't have to be a member. There's no secret handshake or password. There's just 
little pre-packaged communions in the back, on the tables in the back. You're welcome to grab those as you feel led and partake. At the same time, this is something given to believers. So we would say if you're still exploring this whole Jesus church Christian thing and you have not yet repented and believed the gospel, we would ask that you not pretend like you're a Christian and take communion. No one's going to notice if you just don't partake. My challenge to you if you aren't a believer is why not? Jesus is better. He's better than everything. I said that right. He's better than everything. He's not better than anything. He's better than everything. It would be one thing. It would be enough to say he's better than anything. But it's a whole other level to say he's better than everything. Build a scale to measure the worth of all things and place everything in all of the cosmos and all of creation on one side of that scale. Place Jesus on the other. And, and friend, I'm here to tell you that scale will not budge onto the side of everything else. It will peg solely and completely to the floor where Jesus stands on it. He's better than everything. He alone satisfies. I don't know what, what dry cistern you're trying to drink from, whether it's sex, drugs, or rock and roll, or all of the above. Whether it's success, whether it's having a good family, maybe for you the dry cistern you're drinking from is just trying to find a good church. You don't need a good church. You need a good shepherd. You need a savior. You need Jesus. You don't need the next high. You don't need the next low. You don't need the next thing. You don't need that promotion. You don't need more money in your bank account. You don't need less money in your bank account. You don't need a spouse. You don't need a new spouse. You need Jesus. The scriptures say he makes himself available to everyone. We receive him, the scriptures tell us, by repenting and believing. Repentance simply means to admit and abandon. Admit that what you're claiming is there to quench your thirst is actually just dirt that you're chewing on. Admit it and abandon it. Let it go. To believe simply means to embrace and entrust Jesus. To entrust him, come on, for your peace, for your place, and for your purpose. To know you're secure, to know who you are, and to find the joy that you so long for. Everything else, everything else, I've tried almost all of it, everything else will let you down. But Jesus and Jesus alone will never let you go. He's pursuing you right now, and he's going to continue to pursue you. And listen to me, he can run faster and he can run farther than you. So my, my advice to you is save your legs and stop running. Let him overtake you with his love, with his grace, and with his goodness. And in that moment, the scriptures say you move from being dead to being alive. From being his enemy to being his family. To being separate to being united. And if you're doing that, here's what I would encourage you to do. Let us know. Let us know so that we can encourage you, so that we can walk with you. You can, you can talk to somebody here. There's going to be a team of people that will be down in this little lit area behind the chairs there. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to celebrate with you. You can let us know by just grabbing one of those cards and filling it out and turning it in so we can rejoice, we can celebrate, we can welcome you into the family of God. If you're doing that this morning or you've done that in the recent past or, or really ever and you've never been baptized, like we mentioned, we're doing it this morning, but we're doing it again on the 17th. I encourage you to be a part of that. Be baptized. Let's turn our hearts, let's turn our attention, let's turn our affection, let's worship Jesus. That prayer team that's going to be back there, by the way, is available to pray with anyone and everyone who would like to be prayed with. If you have any need, you have anything you're going through in your life, we believe, come on, that when we pray, stuff happens. And so we encourage you to just let somebody stand and pray. They're, they don't have magic words, they're not magic people, but they just love God and they love you and they would love the opportunity to just stand with you and believe God. So let me pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you for your faithfulness toward us. Thank you that you are worthy and you are holy. Thank you that we are welcome in you and we are home in you. Lord, I pray specifically for, for your people this morning that, that are struggling to, to find in you, to find that abiding in you. Jesus, would you just break down walls this morning? Would you shatter lies? Would you open our eyes to see you for who you really are? That we would know, that we would know, that we would 
know that in you we have our peace, that in you we have our place, that in you we have our purpose, that we need go nowhere else. That in the moment of, of, of uncertainty, that in the moment of insecurity, that in the moment of, 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 of frustration and doubt and anxiety, in that moment we run to you, we find everything that we need in you. God, I believe that addiction can break off today once and for all when we find everything we need in you. That you can remove every ounce, every part, every particle of those things that would seek to draw us back to where we used to be. God, you can remove those in an instant. And we believe that in your goodness you are doing that this morning. No more striving. No more trying harder. Just simply trusting more. In the name of the Father, we welcome you home today. We welcome you home. You are welcome. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, church. Let's respond to the Lord.